Greetings, lovely people, and welcome to the Dread in the Shed podcast. I am Daddy Cam of the One Love Army, and I am in the shed telling my stories. Welcome, listeners. Thanks for joining me. Um, now, where was I? Oh, yeah. Um, okay, I was in 1980. I was in number 16, Cambry Mansions. And, uh, yeah, life was moving on. So I more or less left home and got my own flat. Um, and we are in 1980. But I'm going to just dip back into 1979. I did say that um, once we get into the 80s, things would get a bit interesting. I think I'm right. Um, but it also causes me a fair bit of anxiety. <laughs> to talk about things I'm going to talk about. Um, so, um, I'm going to tell this story here first. This, this is one kind of a uh, little bit embarrassing. Hopefully you'll find it a little bit funny. Um, uh, story. Now then, I I mentioned, now this is 1979, so we're back in South Norwood and I just joined Talkover. And uh, now then, I just, and I went down for a rehearsal down in South Norwood and when I arrived at the rehearsal the band were sitting in the kitchen and uh, Clive was uh, chopping up a rather large amount of cannabis I can say that yeah he's chopping up a rather large amount he's got like a bin liners of it and uh, he's came up with these rather sharp looking knives and uh, as it transpired, um, I'm sure Henry and Ed won't mind me saying, the knives had come from Heels, which was a department store in Tottenham Court Road, where Eddie and Henry worked. And um, yeah, without giving too much away, the knives ended up down in St Mary's Road. And um, they're very nice um, carving knives too. So they were being put to good use, um, chopping up this weed. And... Uh, now, I mentioned before that I, I, maybe I mentioned, maybe I didn't, but I had tried cannabis resin before, maybe a year or something before, and um, in a phone box um, late one night, I think me and George both tried it, and, and it had no effect, and I remember waking up the next morning thinking, what was all that about? Anyway, just forgot about it, so back to South Norwood. Um, chopping up the weed now. <laughs> now, Clive has told me that I, I, can, I, can, I can speak um, freely, uncensored. Now, the the funny thing about this weed was, it was actually grown on top of the British Film Institute building in Wardour Street. Uh, Clive was a courier there at the time, and uh, he took it upon himself to uh, plant up a few cannabis plants on the roof of the BFI in Wardour Street. So whenever you see the BFI or whatever just know that once upon a time cannabis was growing on the roof anyway <laughs> and so they were chopping up this weed now I wasn't a weed smoker and um, I was curious of course I was I mean Bob Marley and Peter Tosh you know legalize it and so you know I, I was you know checking out the rest of music and culture and I was aware of the cannabis thing but I wasn't quite there yet so um I was going to try some of it, and I did try some of it. It was um, probably the first time I'd really felt the effects, and boy, did I feel the effects. So, I don't know when I smoked, but it came to the end of the rehearsal, and uh, 
it came time to go home. Now, I lived in St Paul's Cray, a train to stop running, and Clive was going to give me a lift in his work van um, down to St Paul's Cray, so from South Norwood. So, great, we're going to do that. And just before, just when we're about to go, suddenly Clive disappears. I don't know where he's gone. And um, Eddie, Eddie comes into the kitchen where we were, and he's got his coat on at this point, and he's standing with his right arm kind of in the in the breast of the jacket of the coat there's like a crombie uh it was quite tall he still is i think <laughs> so he's there and uh he's got his, i don't mind him what's, what's he got in his uh what's he got in there anyway i'm thinking that's a bit strange and then clive's disappeared and what i didn't know was that it was the onset of paranoia i didn't know about the side effects so, and of course it was just coming on me now. I don't know when I'd smoked the spliff, but um, but it was coming on and I, I didn't realise. I'm thinking, what's he got there? You know, bearing in mind there'd been these knives around. Now he's got his hand in his coat. And uh, anyway, I don't know how many people know this story. I'm sure, Ed, you don't know this story. And I'm sure, um, Clive, you don't know this story. Henry, you don't know this story. But um, Fisher, you don't know this story. But... Um, I, yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking, what's he got? Is, uh, anyway, it comes the time for a lift, suddenly Clive appears out of nowhere. Well, where's he been? What, What's going on? And I am getting prang, thinking, oh, because remember now, it's a slightly different culture. These these um, these boys were, you know, different, you know, subversive, you could say. You know, they were alternative. And I didn't know who they were, really. I'd just been invited down. And anyway, so... Anyway, so we go and get in the transit van, and I am paranoid. I'm thinking Ed's got a knife, <laughs> and uh, so we're driving along, and I'm thinking if a knife comes out of that pocket, I am out of this van, moving or not, and I'm ready to go. And we're we're halfway on our journey, and then Ed said, and I still I didn't quite catch what he said, and I was not familiar with the vernacular. Ed said, shall I skin one up? And uh, Clive must have said yes or whatever. Oh, all I'm thinking, who's skinning what? And I'm thinking about the knife. I'm thinking if a knife comes out of there, I'm jumping out of this van. Anyway, it pulls out Rizzler and a bag of weed. And I realise, oh, <laughs> paranoid. Anyway, they dropped me off none the wiser as to my anxiety and dilemma during that journey. Now you know, boys. Um... And, uh, and they, yeah, they dropped me off. And I remember walking from whenever they dropped me at St. Mary's Cray Station. And I, it never happened again. But this was the first time I really got high. Um, time disappeared. It was weird. So I'd be walking down the road. I think I've walked about 50 yards. But suddenly I was back where I thought I was before. And then I'd be back up the road again. It was very strange. It was like going backwards and forwards in time, and and I could not make sense of it at all. I managed to reach my front door. I think I saw a couple of people on the way, and again, one minute I was kind of close to them, then I was further away, and then I was close, and so the time thing was very, very strange. And then I was at my front door. This was I was still at Seven Selwyn Place. Key to the keyhole, and then I oh. How long have I been here? I didn't know if I'd been there an hour. You know, I didn't know. So I let myself in. And uh, I think I mentioned in the last episode about my food in the Pyrex dish in the oven. Well, there would have been food waiting for me 
Um, but once I got in, I thought, I'm not going in and putting the oven on because I will burn down the house because I put the oven on if I'm meaning for 25 minutes, two hours could go by, burn everything. I did not know. I took myself off to bed and, uh, and that was it. That was my first experience of getting high. Now, I've never had that timeless thing again. And I certainly got over the paranoia once I, you know, got into smoking. Um, but that certainly was a little bit interesting. So that's cannabis. So let's put cannabis on the scene. And um, and remember to put our phone in stop start again. That's me, you see, because I really am in the shed using my phone. My phone is my microphone. You probably guessed that from the sound quality. And I keep forgetting to put the phone on airplane mode because I get calls and messages dropping. You'll probably hear a few episodes where there's a text dropping or something. Uh, just forgive me, it's just the way it is, keeping it real. Anyway, so that was me, cannabis, etc, etc, etc. Lost my thread a bit, but I had to throw that in because it was, you know, it was slowly creeping into my life. So let's get back to Cambrian Mansions, 1980. And um, yeah, so I'm now in Camberwell, I'm close to Brixton. And whereas before in St. Paul's Cray, we had a few other black people, you certainly didn't have a community. Um, but once you got into Brixton, yeah, there you had black community. And, um, and it was in this time that I found, because, you know, okay, there was Bob Marley and Peter Tosh, the artists that we knew, but generally, you know, if one was to look on a Rastafarian in the street, you might think they were quite a ruffian, or maybe quite blunt and ignorant or fearsome or whatever. Um, but I found that the Rastafarians, the Rastafari brethren, were the most intelligent, gentle. Yes, they had fire. Yes, they were warriors, but they were peaceful warriors. Um, but they had intellect, spirituality, insight. And um, at this point, I'm going to mention uh, Gadman, that is Gilly. Gilbert Winter, Apple Winter. Um, now, Gilly, as we called him then, uh, you know, fully fledged Rastafarian, um, maybe about 33 or something at the time when I'm 20 or so. He's a little bit older. He's a friend of Clive's. Um, and also, there's another um, Rastafarian on the on the firm, and that is Dexter Dexter Campbell. Uh, they, they are friends of Clive from Peckham. Clive had grown up in Peckham and gone to school in Peckham. And uh, he'd introduced us to them and them to us, as it were. And um, and Gilly really was uh, a teacher. And to this day, he is, um, you know, one of my teachers. I remember on one occasion, now Henry, uh, uh, the drummer, I might have mentioned was a graphic designer. So he used to do a lot of the photography and artwork and you know, posters or whatever, and he had prepared a, um, a, a picture, an image, as it were, of his Imperial Majesty, Emperor Ailei Selassie, and, um, and Selassie was dressed in his regal, um, kingly um, garments, etc., etc., which maybe look a bit archaic, and, uh, and the picture had been, I think, done for Gilly, Gilly Gadman, and, um, and Gadman was looking at it, and uh, I said something a bit uh, frivolous, you know, maybe about the clothes or the garments or something like this. And 
and Gilly looked at me and said, don't mock I Emperor. And it kind of stopped me in my tracks, you know, because I was a bit of a cheeky chappy in my way, you know, funny, always trying to have a laugh and, you know, um, stopped me in my tracks. So, you know, um, taught me maybe a little bit of reverence for his imperial majesty. And, um, yeah, and Gilly, Gadman Winter became keyboard player with Talkover. So he was part of the crew. Dexter used to come and do the roadie in. And, uh, yeah, we'd rehearse up in Ralton Road, Brixton. A little studio there we had for a while until it got burgled. <laughs> and all our stuff got nicked. Uh, those were the days. Um, yes, yeah, so Kembry Mansions, we, we used to record act and rehearse actually in Kembry Mansions. Um, uh, downstairs in Paul's flat, I think we, we did a few demos. And uh, that was at number 13, Kembry Mansions. And I think in the last episode, I said, oh, Paul lived with someone. I didn't know who it was. Um, it was uh, Janet. <laughs> it was Janet, who later became a girlfriend of Henry's. But that's another story. And um, anyway, so there I am, number 16, Kembry Mansions. And yeah, I'm popping up to Ralton Road every once in a while to get a little draw. And uh, and I, I think this one, yeah, this story is me and the weed and, and why you don't mess with it. And, and I kind of learned a few lessons along the way because, of course, I still used to go for a drink. So I'd go for a drink and then buy some weed and smoke. And I found that that really didn't work. If you really drink a lot of alcohol, and I couldn't really drink a lot, but if I had four or five pints and then smoked a spliff, it didn't work. I later found out that you, you could smoke a spliff before having a drink, and, and that kind of worked a bit better. Um, but um, I was to ultimately just stop drinking for a few years, and that's what happened. After certain incidents like this, um, where you know I've got some weed from Brixton, and I'm gonna pop down to some Paul's Cray, and, um, and see the, you know, the old, my old friends and that. And of course, I take a little bit of weed with me. I'm going to, you know, show them some weed and that. And uh, we go down. We have a big old drink up in the Robin Hood, a notorious pub no, now no longer there. And, um, and then we probably went back to someone's house for a smoke. And I had over, over drank and I over smoked and ended up being horribly sick, <laughs> having to rest up on this person's sofa after throwing up in their front garden. And um, and I remember someone saying to me, oh, you prescribe it, but you can't take it. And uh, so again, another little slap for me. Um, but I was learning. And uh, yeah, so yeah, 16 Cambridge Mansions, one other embarrassing story. <laughs> I think this is going to just be a an episode of embarrassing stories and then I'll get on to the other stuff that I was maybe going to talk about in this episode. But I'm going to let this one run. Another embarrassing story. Just one more. So I'd moved into number 16, Cambry Mansions. And uh, shortly afterwards, some, some new people moved in upstairs, you know, number 18. And uh, so I'd been to the pub one morning and I thought, well, I'd... Um, I'd had a good drink, you know, so my inhibitions were lowered. And I thought I'd have a little smoke, I had a little smoke. And then I thought, I've got the bright idea, I'll pop upstairs and introduce myself to my new neighbours. So I did, I popped upstairs, knocked the door, hello, I'm Cam, you know, I'm your new neighbour, da-da-da-da. And then I sit down, 
I don't know if I drank anymore, but I maybe rolled a spliff, you know, showing off a bit, and well, started smoking, and suddenly I felt like, oh, I'm gonna throw up. So I'm sitting there, I've been so cool. I shut up, I've gone, gone quiet, and um, and then I thought, oh, I am gonna throw up. So I just got up, I didn't say a word. <laughs> I went out, they must have wanted to do that, it was like, come in all full of beans, rolls and split, and gets up, goes out, well, let me tell you, halfway down the stairs, the, uh, the sick had hit the back of my teeth, I managed to get myself into, um, into the bathroom, and, uh, yeah, I managed to get myself into the bathroom, and, yeah, just, yeah, just heaved and threw up, and the funny thing is, I've just remembered something else, I think that might have been the day, <laughs> But after throwing up, I didn't actually get away from the front of the toilet for hours. I was on the bathroom floor, on the bath mat, throwing up occasionally. Couldn't move. In fact, at some point, I must have curled up and covered myself with the bath mat. And at some point, I could hear the door knocking, boom, boom, boom. And it was the rest of the band from number 15. Cam, Cam, come on, because there was a gig. There was a sound check. They'd been and knocked me for the sound check. And uh, and then and no sign. And then I came back, knocked me for the gig. Well, I managed to get myself up. I think I had a pizza I stuck under the grill, ate that, got myself together, and got up to the old Queen's Head in Stockwell where we were doing a gig. And uh, I managed to get on stage. I think that was the first and one and only gig where I did not jump up and down. I just literally, and I did know the calls. I did. I played the calls. Did what I had to do. Sang what I had to sing. Got off and got home. But it was lesson learned. And uh, as I say, shortly after that, I just cut out the alcohol completely. Well, that, that lasted for three years. But that's all another story. In the meantime, I'm going to say that's enough for now. Um, I'm going to wrap it up. I'd like to say thank you all for listening. Thanks for joining me. Keep on supporting this podcast. I really appreciate it. And from the Dread in the Shed, One Love Army, I salute you. All my listeners, I salute you. And from the Dread in the Shed, it's blessed love to all mankind. Give thanks. <laughs>